God bless you guys. Good morning. God is amazing. Uh, we sang that song that said, Live in, you love me. Die in, you save me. Buried, you carried my sins far away. Rise in, you justified me. Freely forever. We sing songs like that. They're glorious and, and they're filled with beauty. And Jesus is at the center of it. But before he ever went to the whipping post, before he was ever crucified, he spent a night in the garden praying to the Father. And he asked the first time, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he went back to his own disciples. And Jesus was so heavy in spirit that he woke them up and he said, couldn't you? Stay awake and pray for an hour. Watch with me. And the scripture says that their eyes were heavy with sleep. They had a very busy day. They prepared the Passover. <laughs> they made preparations. They were up from the early morning of the day. They might have not even slept the night before. All in preparation for the feast of the Passover. So Jesus lets them sleep and he goes back. And he prays again and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes back again. And the scripture says that he started to sweat blood. He had so much pressure on him. Not to perform. But to listen. Because it says that he learned obedience through the things which he suffered, which he went through. He knew what it was like to be tested and tempted just like we are. He knew what it was like to want to go the other way, but there was a joy that was set before him, which is us. So before he ever traveled the road carrying the cross, he was already sweating blood in the garden. And that opposition where the flesh is trying to fight what he knows is the way of God, the only way. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So before he went to the cross, he's already having this struggle inside of him where his flesh wants to go one way. And that's when he woke him up and he said, "For the spirit is very willing, <laughs> but the flesh is very weak. That's why the Apostle Paul would go on to say, we're not of those who trust in the flesh. It's not in my ability. Jesus knew that it wasn't in his ability. Because after that, actually ministering angels of the Lord came to strengthen him. Because at the point of the garden, in the garden, he was already to the point of death. Because he had seen it. He had seen what he was going to face. So they come and arrest him. One of the 12 that was with him from the beginning that he picked. When Judas comes up to him, he says, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? And Judas kissed him. Peter that he loves pulls out his sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear because Peter was trying to kill anyone who was coming close to Jesus because Peter really did love Jesus. And Jesus really loved Peter. So they shackle Jesus. They take him into the palace of the high priest. 
John follows, Peter follows, John goes in. John knows the high priest, so he has the servants of the high priest let Peter in. So Peter is actually watching what's going on with Jesus. And do you know that they ask him who he is, what is he doing? And he said, I taught daily in your temple. He said, surely someone heard me, ask them what I said. And the high priest commanded one of the guards to punch him in the face. This is how Jesus is starting. From the garden to the high priest's palace. Could you imagine being punched in the face? So after they judge him in the Gospel of John, guess what they do? They put a towel over his face and they hit him repeatedly and say, prophesy, who just punched you? These are guards. These are men like me to a shackled Jesus. Again, prophesy, who just hit you? He's tried before Pilate. Pilate doesn't find anything wrong with him, so Pilate sends him to Herod, thinking maybe Herod could judge him. Herod wanted to see Jesus, the Scripture says, for a very long time because he thought maybe he was John the Baptist. Maybe he was a prophet. So he was expecting to see some miracle from Jesus. And Jesus, before Herod the king, stayed silent to where Herod just judged him as a man. Then guess what happens? They put a purple robe on him and they do the same thing. They hit him with rods. After that, guess what happens? He sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's wife has a dream and she sends word to Pontius Pilate and says, have nothing to do with that just man because I suffered many things because of him in a dream. Pilate brings Jesus in and says, who are you? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, so you're a king then. And Jesus said, you say I am. Which means Jesus had gained so much attention in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that Pontius Pilate was saying that he could be the king of the Jews. When Pilate heard that he was the son of God, he became afraid. And he wanted to release Jesus. And he would have. And he said, I'm free from this man's blood. And the high priest and all the children of Israel that were there, they cried out with a loud voice and said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. You see the effects of that during the Holocaust. So Jesus, because they wanted Barabbas released, which was a murderer, instead of Jesus. And Pilate said, what should I do with this man? They said, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, will you crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. So Pilate ordered for Jesus to be scourged. So after all of this, Jesus gets whipped with what we're told is a cat of nine tails. 39 lashes on his back. Which if you ever watched the Passion of the Christ, his back, his skin was ripped open. Muscle was exposed. And then we find that he's made after all this to carry his cross on the road to Golgotha where they would crucify him. And listen, the king of the universe, 
that would carry the weight of sin in His body, we find collapsing under the weight of the cross. If you've ever sold yourself under a lie of delusion that you're not valuable, you don't know the price that He paid for you. You don't know it. Because you were the joy that was set before Him. They put a crown of thorns and pressed it into his scalp. Do you understand why he was sweating blood in the garden? Do you understand why in the natural sense he wanted to find another way? You understand why ministering spirits had to come and minister to him? You were the joy that was set before him. The reason why he endured the cross was for you. It was for me. It was for our children. It was for our children's children. It was so the legacy that he had when he was on earth, he could then deposit into us. And the scripture says that the kingdom of God suffers violence. That means that Satan tried to take by force what belonged to us. But then it says that the violent will take it by force. That means we're not dealing with the things of the adversary on a nice level. He tried taking it by force, but now the Lord has called us to be violent towards the things of the enemy, not towards people. James and John are walking and the whole city of Samaria, they reject Jesus. And John and James are so appalled by this. They said, Lord, shall we just call down fire from heaven and just consume the whole bunch of them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of, for the Son of Man didn't come to take life, but to save it. We're lives that he has saved. And you know, the scripture says that the Lord is not ashamed to call us brethren. Not ashamed. The law will purchase you as servants to sell you as slaves. The law will purchase you as a servant to then enslave you to a system. And that system will always have you falling short. Because servants aren't sons. See, a servant isn't meant to inherit any substance from anyone unless there's no heir. Well, the Scripture says that we're co-heirs with Christ. That means that we've inherited on His level. And in John chapter 17, Jesus says that you've loved them with the same love that you loved me. You mean that the Father loves me perfectly with the same love that He loved Jesus with? Yeah. If He was willing to give Jesus for us, yes. Yes, absolutely. He loves us that much. He loves us enough to die for us. I want to get in the best shape of my life. You know why I'm thinking like this? is because I want to be there for my kids and my kids' kids. That would be me living for them. Why? Because I love them. Do I need them? No. We wanted them. We wanted them because they're extensions of who we are. We get to deposit the love that we found in ourselves and with each other. We get to combine that love and look at what is made. It's the same with the Father. He combined His love 
with Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies alone. But once it's sown, it multiplies. That's what happened. Jesus took his sacrifice, his blood. You know, the blood was applied to the mercy seat every year. When Jesus applied his blood to the mercy seat in heaven, it ended all sacrifices. It made mercy not only available for a season, but available for a life. That's why his mercies are new every morning. That's why he can be kind to us, though we don't deserve it. God is faithful. Hebrews chapter 13. Chapter 13 is like a smorgasbord. It's, it's a buffet. I'm like, Paul starts out, well, let brotherly love continue. Then he starts telling us not to forget to entertain strangers because we've entertained angels unaware. And I mean, uh, he goes from that and he starts talking about marriage. And then he starts talking about leaders in the church. And so it's a little spread out. And I'll try to stay focused here. This is what it says. It says, let brotherly love continue. What does brotherly love look like? Jesus said that a man has no greater love than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. There's a friendship in the Lord that stems from relationship. But relationship is all through being connected. See, he said, no longer do I call you servants, I now call you friends. He said, for a servant doesn't know everything that his Lord does. He said, but all things that I've received from the Father, I've made known to you. Do you know that he could only call them friends at that point? Because they hadn't yet been born again into the kingdom. See, there was something about the early church once they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they didn't just become witnesses, they became family. They were willing to die for each other. No one claimed anything of his own, but they shared with everyone as each person had need, the Scripture says. And it's the only place in all of Scripture where great and grace are mentioned right next to each other. And the Scripture says that when they were in unity, when they actually perfected the bond of peace, when they became together as one, not as just people who attend church, but when they became together as one, great grace came upon them all. From the youngest to the oldest, from the most significant to the one that nobody even recognized. Do you know that the same anointing that was on Peter as an apostle, we see on Stephen as a servant to the widows. The scripture says that there was, I think it's Gresham Jews that were being overlooked in the distributing of the food. And people came to the disciples and they said, look, these widows are being overlooked. And they told the disciples that you need to do something about this. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said to choose out seven among you that are filled with the Spirit and power. 
and place them over this matter. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and power, would you be waiting tables? Serving widows? Yeah, absolutely you would be. Stephen operated with an apostle's anointing, serving food to widows. And the scripture says that great signs and miracles were done through him. You know, he's seen Jesus standing up. It's the only record that we have of Jesus standing up, and it's to receive Stephen into heaven. But he served tables but he did it with his whole heart unto the Lord because he didn't find his value in his position. He found his value in his birth that actually birthed him into a kingdom, into a new family. And everyone he was serving was family. Is it hard to serve your parents? No, it's not. So when the scripture says, let brotherly love continue, it's not some weird religious thing where, hey, brother, you're my brother today, but if something happened tomorrow, all of a sudden, would you turn on me? Because the family in this kingdom isn't supposed to turn on each other. <laughs> we can have disagreements and still hug it out. <laughs> Amen. Because we're in unity. And you might think, well, Pastor Steve, we only meet once a week, sometimes twice a week when we come on a Friday. I only see my parents maybe once a week, if that, because we have kids and a busy life. Because the time that we have, we're not spending every day together. No, they're my parents. I was born into their family line. That makes my brother my brother because he came from my parents. <laughs> Does he stop being my brother because I only see him once a week? No. It's the bond that we have because we've been birthed again into a kingdom. So when he says, let brotherly love continue, what does brotherly love look like? I'm going to share something that looks very much like brotherly love. So two weeks ago, my car broke down. Well, you guys know I was here at church. <laughs> my parents had to come pick us up and we live in Beloit. So that's an hour and a half away from here. Fred asked if he could have our keys. And I know Fred, and you know, he's probably gonna look at it or you know, have it towed somewhere and uh which I live an hour and a half away. He asked, Well, uh when do you think you you'll get the chance to look at us? I said, Well, probably not till Thursday, because it was really, really cold weather. Well, we left church and we got hit with like the flu. Started with one of us. The next one, the next one, finally it hit me, and it only lasted one day. So our car broke down, then we get hit with the flu. Like, I had to clean up my bathroom on Tuesday, and it was a horror show. <laughs> Mercy was throwing up, and she said, Dad, I need you to pray for me, and I didn't want to move. I said, I need somebody to pray for me. That's <laughs> no, true story. So Fred texts me, and I don't even think I responded to him all of Monday. But by the time I respond to him, he already had the car towed at, looked at, what they actually think it is. And then I talked to him, he said, I'm just going to take care of it. And whenever you can pay me back, however much a month, he said 30 or 40 bucks a month. And he won't even tell me how much it costs to tow it. <laughs> The only reason I say any of that 
is because I was telling Mark, and Mark said that is true Christianity. That right there is, is brotherly love. It is. It's very rare. And I told Fred, I said, that's very rare, Fred. He said, well, I know you've done it for people. I said, yeah, but it's very rare that somebody else does it for you. <laughs> but that's brotherly love. Is that we take care of each other. And the thing is, is that I didn't text him back all of Monday. And he wasn't offended. He wasn't thinking evil thoughts of me. Like I, I got his car towed and I figured out what it is. He don't even have the nerve to text me back. But that's the way that most Christians think. That's not the way we're called to be. The church of God has become one of the most dysfunctional families in the earth because we bite and devour one another. And the scripture says, be careful that you don't bite and devour one another because you will be devoured. It says that don't judge one another because in the measure that you judge somebody else, you yourself will be judged. Yeah, you draw the line. When you look down on somebody else, you cap yourself right there. So when you make a mistake and you expect to experience the grace of God and you go to the mercy seat and say, Father, forgive me, He's already forgiven you. But you have something against your brother. A lot of the time in the past that we were always pointing to pastors for perfection. We as leaders became the object of affection. So when the pastor failed, people just got up and left the church, stopped believing in God altogether. Because we were supposed to be perfect. Because we were pointing them to us instead of pointing them to Christ. He's the measure of our perfection. I can blow it. I can have a bad day. Like I told Mercy, I said, me and your mama, we can fail you. We can do stuff where we're thinking about us. I said, but God, he will never fail you. Everything he does is with you in mind. She knows that. Because I'm training them not to look to our perfection, but to look to Christ. Because in Christ, we find perfection. In Christ, we find our value. In Christ, we find our identity. That's why if someone doesn't have a mother or father, a brother or sister, bless God, you can come here. There's mothers, there's fathers, there's brothers, and there's sisters. What do you need? It's like a rummage sale for free. And all the stuff is yours. <laughs> all you got to say is, I want that. And bless God, because we're a body that's not lacking, we have that. Amen. You need a friend? You can find some friends here. But do you know what the scripture says? In order to have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. <laughs> it's written. You want good friends? Sow friendship into somebody. You'll receive all the friends you can get. You'll have to start blocking people's calls because you've got stuff to do. <laughs> Amen. And you'll know the real friends because the real friends, you won't answer their calls for days and they don't stop calling you. And when they answer the phone, they're like, what happened, man? I'm like, ah, oh, just didn't feel like talking. I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, they're not offended. Like, you don't love me anymore. Why? Because they're concerned about their love for you, not your love for them. They love you with your amazing self. Jesus calls us good. The man called... Jesus, good master. And he said, there's none good but God. 
Why do you call me good? God lives inside of man now. It says that we're the temple of God. The temple of God is not made with brick and mortar anymore. It's flesh and blood. That God's Spirit lives inside of me. If I was good enough for God to put Himself in, that makes me good. Because we have this treasure and earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of us. So if I can carry the substance of God, I am no longer an evil person. I'm actually good because Jesus is good. The Father is good. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When he said to Jesus, good master, and he said, why do you call me good? What is he talking about? He's pointing him to the Father. Because people have the potential to look at Jesus as a good teacher. Not the master of the universe. Not the creator of life. But Jesus is the creator of life. It says that there wasn't anything made that's been made except by Him and through Him. He was with the Father in the beginning before the world ever existed. Him and the Father are one. The Holy Spirit, which comes from the Father, they're also one. And you're one. You're one with the Lord. And now because we are all one with the Lord, it makes us one with each other. Amen. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I don't understand the magnitude of that. I just know it's very important. I know it's very important because how can we entertain angels unaware? But the scripture says that angels long to look into the things which we've received. Do you know that the early church, when Paul's writing to them, he said that you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that you had a better treasure laid up in heaven. I couldn't imagine somebody taking my stuff and it's the government that was taking their stuff. It wasn't just people breaking into their house. It was the government taking their stuff. They let them have it with joy. Why? You wouldn't do that if you thought you were alone and you had nothing. There's been times when me and Heather have had nothing in our first year of marriage and we thought we can't even pay bills, but at least we got each other. Let's be that to each other. If something happened and you found yourself in sin, tomorrow we wouldn't turn on you. We would be there for you. Not with some religious, you know better than this, brother. That's trash, man. We love you. Jesus loves you. You're selling yourself short because there's a weight of glory that's been deposited inside of you and you can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) We know where you live. (laughs) Amen. Verse 3, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourself also in the body, which means that you've suffered some things too, so you have understanding when hardship tries to hit. You're not looking at them like, I wonder what they did. Maybe they were doing something right. Maybe it had nothing to do with sin. But maybe there's a, a real adversary 
that tries to get our attention off of Jesus by creating storms in our life. And so when we feel like we're walking on water, there's storms that are going on in our life, and he's just hoping, like some other people he knows, that you'll take your eyes off of Jesus, and you'll start to drown. And in your mind, Jesus won't be there to grab your hand and lift you up. He's always there. The scripture says that the Lord hears the cries of the righteous. It says weeping may endure for the night, but joy is promised. It's always coming in the morning. Always. Marriage is honorable in all things and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. It's not your job to judge whoremongers and adulterers. That's up to God. He'll judge that. If the body of Christ would be more concerned with loving each other, there would be less whoremongers and adulterers in the world. (laughs) Amen. It's true. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. I cried reading this scripture this morning. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the reality of the relationship that we have with the Father. Do you know that in order to separate Himself from us, it would cause death? I honestly believe this, not scriptural, I honestly believe this, it would be death on both sides. Because the scripture says that God, when He made covenant with Abraham, seeing that there was no greater to swear by, He swore by Himself. What does that mean? When you swear by something and you don't perform what you swore, what you have is either took or destroyed. So he was saying to Abraham, if I don't fulfill this covenant with you, I will destroy myself. I put myself on the line for a human being? For one man? Yeah. Jesus did it. And he would have did it just for one. You're that valuable in the eyes of God. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. When do you need anything from anybody? It's when you have a need in your life that you need help. Like me and Sarah was joking because I try to forcibly help her a few times. I learned not to do that. Well, Gracie does that to me and I hate it. (laughs) And I was telling Sarah, I understand because Gracie would be like, no, dad, I'm helping you. And I'm like, no, you're not helping me. (laughs) If I don't need help, when you come to try helping, it's not help. (laughs) So I understand that. (laughs) But the Lord is our helper because we'll always need help. He's our comforter because we'll always need comforter. He's our teacher because we never stop being students. It's the truth. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follows. Considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's telling us to follow our leaders because they do have rule over us. In submitting to them, we submit to God. Do you understand that Rebellion is something that was birthed in Satan's heart, not in the Father's. 
When you speak against your leaders because you would do it a different way, there's a reason you're not the leader. (laughs) And I remember Keith Moore teaching, and he was telling about his wife, Phyllis, and they were brought up under Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry, and Phyllis was in the kitchen with Kenneth E. Hagin's wife, and they were cutting up tomatoes, and Kenneth Hagin came in there, and he said, no, that ain't how you cut tomatoes. You cut it like this. And she got in the car afterwards. I mean, they've grown tomatoes. Phyllis Moore is from the country. And she's offended. And she says to Keith Moore, he corrected me on how to cut a tomato. And he says, well, if you'll be faithful with someone else's tomato, the Lord will give you a tomato of your own. (laughs) But it says that if you've been entrusted with little, that the Lord will make you ruler over much. But if you've been dishonest, with little, you'll be dishonest with much. He also said, if you've been unfaithful with somebody else's things, who will give you true riches of your own? Submission in the church, it should just be natural for us, but it's not. Because we've lost it somewhere along the line because of crooked leaders. But the Lord is actually restoring the dignity of His people. Why? Because love covers. But sometimes because people get offended, they want other people to pet them and tell them it'll be okay and they're right. We don't want to pet you around here. (laughs) We just want to love you. (laughs) And in our submission to the leadership and to each other, that's right where actually God will be able to demonstrate the greatest grace to us. Because we're not walking in bitterness, resentment, or I would do it another way. Well, there's probably a reason I'm not the leader. That's the conclusion that I always come to. I was telling Mark this morning, as I was meditating on brotherly love, I always call him. Usually he calls me, but I called him. I couldn't wait. You ready to pray? <laughs> like, let's get it. Let's get it in this morning. So we talked, and then we prayed, and I was telling him, you know, where the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet, there's not many fathers. And the Apostle Paul says, I have become a father unto you because I begot you in the gospel. I was what the Lord used to give you birth into the ministry of of Jesus, the gospel. Mark is more than just a brother or a leader. He's a father in the faith. Val is too. When Heather was just coming into the prophetic, she's told me at least six or seven times that she would have went so far out into the weird areas had Val not been there. Because Val, you've been a mother. I mean, to think that you guys didn't even know you were raising children in your own ministry. (laughs) And I have a sister. (laughs) Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follows, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with different and strange doctrines. Listen to what he says. It's in verse 9, Hebrews 13, 9. Be not carried away with different and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. 
He said that our hearts are supposed to be strengthened by grace, not by meats. And meats here is referring to religious works because he says that we have a table which those who are still under the law have no right to eat at. When you're trying to get to God by religious works, your heart can never be strengthened. It will only be defeated by failure. But when we strengthen our heart in grace, there's a table that's set before us. And like when we did communion, it's always in the presence of our enemies. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. What's opposing you today? There's a table that's been prepared for you. It's right now. Yeah, there's enemies there. But the Lord still calls us to eat and to strengthen our heart with grace. Because you can't separate Jesus from grace. You can't. Because in this, he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus and how our hearts are supposed to be strengthened according to that sacrifice because he is grace to us. Listen to what it says. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify, make holy the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. We had this conversation when I was at the first church I had really ever went to as an adult. And they were saying, well, when does the process of sanctification happen? Does it happen at the beginning? You know, some people are sanctified all at once. Some people's sanctification is carried out over a process. But the scripture just said that he sanctified us with his own blood. That we're sanctified, made holy by the blood of Jesus. Something that works and the blood of bulls and goats could never achieve. We've been made. Our hearts are called to be strengthened by grace, not by works. Because grace brings us into relationship. And relationship is everything in the kingdom of God. It's not what you do, it's who you know. (laughs) Amen. It also says, I'm going to go there and read it. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I read out of the King James, but I like every version of the Bible. So, We were at a food pantry one time and we were praying for people. And this older guy, he wouldn't let us pray for us. And he was like, what Bible do you read out of? I was like, well, I like them all. And he was like, that's the problem with you. I was like, well, we'll pray for you, you know. <laughs> He's like, only King James. I like King James. But King James, uh, they have some words that might have meant something in their time, but it really doesn't mean much in ours. <laughs> so, I mean... uh. It's not just any translation. It's what is speaking to you. Amen. Because the Message Bible can speak to people. The NIV can speak to people. I remember going into a Christian bookstore, but I was talking to the owner, and she said, you know, people come in and they're still looking. I think it was called the Tensdale Bible, which isn't actually a Bible. It's his commentary. And she said, people come in here and looking for that as a Bible because that's actually what they were reading when they got saved. Does it contain the Scripture? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Or have people limited to a version of the Bible that the Holy Spirit can only speak through this or through that? No. The Holy Spirit can use anything to speak to us. There's movies I've watched 
And I just went to watch specifically one of them just because somebody asked me. And I asked the Lord, Lord, I normally wouldn't go see this movie, but please show me the redemptive quality. <laughs> the whole movie, it was trash, but the end, there was such a redemptive quality to it that I actually seen the Lord in it because I was looking for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Because the Holy Spirit always wants to speak. And that's what someone told the minister that I listened to. They said, you can't speak in tongues whenever you want. You can't just turn off and on the Holy Spirit. And the minister said, no, he's always on. <laughs> you understand God never sleeps. <laughs> if you never sleep, when everybody's sleeping, when they wake up, don't you want to talk? <laughs> he never runs out of words. He's a good father. Amen. Listen to what it says. Verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised has God chosen, yes, and things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him, but of the Father, but of him are you in Christ Jesus. But of him are you in Christ. The Father has placed us in the Son. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Where are you going to find wisdom? In the Son. It's Jesus. Where are you going to find righteousness? It's in the Son. Jesus. Where are you going to find sanctification? It's in the Son. Jesus. We just read in Hebrews chapter 13 that He sanctified us with His own blood. Amen. Where are you going to find redemption? It's in Him. Jesus. None of those things will you find in yourself apart from Him. But now that you're not apart from Him, you can find all those things in you. What if you're not seeing the fruit of it in your life? You just need to dig a little deeper. It's in there, trust me. It's in there. It's the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Hebrews 13, 13 again. Let us go forth therefore unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. For here have we no continuing city but we seek one to come. It's exactly why they could take joyfully the spoiling of their goods. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Listen to me. It doesn't say offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It says by Him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's by Him. Even your praise to the Father is still going to be found in the Son. It's going to be found in Him. He has made us worthy. We are able ministers, the Scripture says. And that even means if you're ministering bread to widows, you're still able because He has made you something. And that something is a child. You've been birthed into a kingdom. 
as a child who's been birthed into a kingdom, you have the rights of that kingdom. They were going to scourge Paul, and I think it's Acts chapter 20 or chapter 21. There was a big uproar. They were going to scourge him. And he says, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman who's uncondemned? Hasn't been sent to trial? And they were afraid because they just put him in shackles. But because the Roman government was behind every citizen, you couldn't bind them unlawfully. You know, it's illegal for you to be bound in the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus came to set the captives free to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The day of vengeance of our God. I always read that and I love it. It's the day of vengeance of our God. Satan, you've been judged. Too long have Christians been running away from the devil, scared of what he's doing. The scripture says that the curse causeless shall not come, but it'll return to the place which it was sent. When Satan tries to curse me, there's no cause for it. Because every cause that I ever had for a curse, Christ, he abolished it in his own body. I'm spotless. When Satan tries to touch me, it's illegal. When he tries to touch you, it's illegal. Why? Because the whole kingdom of heaven stands behind you as a child. You're an heir of God. Join heir with Christ. Is Jesus afraid of the devil? No, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 that he defeated him who had the power of hell and death and took the keys away from him. And then we know in the book of Luke that he's talking to the disciples and he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you want to be bound on earth, we'll get it done. Why? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not in the great by and by. It's right here in the rotten here and now. Yeah. The whole earth is groaning, travailing, waiting for the adoption of sonship to manifest. We're the ones who've been called sons. We have something to say about what goes on in the earth. See, Satan was able to deceive Adam and Eve and took their voice away. Jesus gave us our voice back. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, the scripture says. And then the next verse says, who have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name but to do good and to communicate, forget not. Thank you, Fred, for not forgetting. I know many of you guys have done that. Fred would never even tell this story. The scripture says, let another man praise you and not your own lips. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. With such sacrifices, God, our Father, is well pleased. Amen. It pleases the Father when we do stuff for one another. You know how much it blesses me when Mercy or Gracie or Faithy, they're going to get something and they'll bring something back for the other one without them even asking? It always catches my attention. It always pleases me. And I always say, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself, for they watch 
for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. See, we're going to have to give an account one way or the other. (laughs) Make it a little easier on us. (laughs) Let us do it with joy and not with grief. It's the beauty of the Lord. See, something changed in me and Heather's view on ministry and everything else. The Lord gave Heather a scripture and it's in Isaiah and it says that I have placed shepherds over you according to my own heart. And when she shared what the Lord gave to me, I really felt like that was true. That he's placed shepherds over us that have the heart of the Lord for us. When Mark and Val started the church, there was no money, but we're a body and we communicate and we do good. They invested their own money, four to five grand, just for the licensing and everything else. We were in a building that was probably, it felt like it was the size of the stage. (laughs) Maybe it was a little bigger, it just felt like that. (laughs) But they invested themselves into the vision of the Lord. And by the grace of God, we've been able to part with that. Sarah's been able to partner with that. And uh, I wouldn't do it any other way than the small beginnings, being faithful with the little. God said He'll make us ruler over much. Obey them to have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. See, they have to give an account. We have to give an account. I have to give an account. We can do that with joy. And the benefit is yours. If anybody didn't need prayer, it was the Apostle Paul. But in every letter that he writes, he always says, pray for me or pray for us. Because prayer wasn't just 15 minutes in a prayer closet or an hour-long prayer meeting. It was the lifeline of the early church that they believed that when they called to God, He answered, like I said to Mercy. Expect that when you wake up, say, good morning, Jesus, like Jesse DePlanis. He says, good morning, Mercy. God's waiting for us. Do you know that in heaven right now, Jesus went and everybody who went on before us, they went to prepare a place for us? They're in preparation. They're preparing for the supper of the Lamb. It's amazing that everyone who went before us, we will see again. That all those who died in Christ, they're not dead. We never die. That's why the Apostle Paul wasn't scared, because you can't kill him. Because the Apostle Paul died a long time ago on a road called Damascus. He met his maker. And he died, and he said, I died, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, it's because of Jesus. It's the faith of the Son of God. That I believed He was who He said He was. And because of that, I have received this life. Are we scared of death as Christians? No, not at all. The only reason I wouldn't want to leave and check out early is because of my kids. I told Heather, I know it's really weird. You know, the Left Behind series and all that stuff, crazy like Christian horror movies. (laughs) I told Heather, under that viewpoint, 
I hope the Lord comes back in our generation because I wouldn't want any of the kids going through that without me. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the seed that we sowed in them is incorruptible. So when we plant our bodies in the ground, that seed multiplies to a thousand generations that none of our family will be lost because that seed is incorruptible. And I tell them now why they're young, regardless of what you do, regardless of where you find yourself, no matter what hole you end up in, always run to God. He's always the solution. He's never the problem. So in your worst mistakes, know that your father's not mad with you, that he's loved you perfectly. When you were a sinner, before you ever accepted Jesus, he loved you perfectly, enough to die for. He's always the solution. I establish it, establish it, establish it. Because we're talking about identity in a world where that's what they're trying to take is the identity of our children. And if they're not established in grace, when they miss it, they will believe a lie and they'll become someone they're never destined to be because we've been predestined in Christ. This is what I'm talking about when vengeance of the day of our God, the day of vengeance of the Lord, the violent take it by force. Whatever Satan took by violence, I take. I'm not going to stand idly by and see our children just slip away. Not when we have this power of the incorruptible seed living inside of us. This is what I see for triumphant grace. One of the strongest knit bodies of community. And it's not based upon hours of fellowship. It's based upon intimacy with the Father. I love fellowship. I do. We all live busy lives. My mom's here today. You love me any less because I only see you once a week? <laughs> she doesn't. She loves me. Come into the house first thing. Are you hungry? I just ate. Want to eat again? What are you offering? <laughs> I didn't get this way because we were vegan. <laughs> this is biscuits and gravy and fried pork chops. and Yeah. Listen to what he says. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He's talking about pray for him, that he could come to them sooner. Listen to what he says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Did you catch that? Listen to what he says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through, this is how we're going to accomplish this, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. We are made perfect through the blood of Jesus. We are made complete through the blood of Jesus. You want to do the will of God? Apply the blood. <laughs> Once the blood's applied... You are made complete. You're no longer lacking in identity. You found out who you are. You're no longer lacking in authority. 
You find out what kingdom you belong to. You're no longer lacking in life because you're fulfilled. They stole my stuff. So what? (laughs) God will give you some new stuff. He'll give you some new stuff. If you don't believe that, that's fine. But it says that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. And I was thinking, Lord, that's rich. Like, yeah, we've inherited a kingdom. We'll be rich one day. And then I looked it up and it says increased with goods. (laughs) Naturally. So the scripture's lying if God won't increase you with goods naturally. The scripture doesn't lie. Never has. Never will. Amen. It's when we believe it that we have access to this because of the blood of Jesus Not because my own sweat, what I've done, what I deserve. I deserve nothing. I deserve death before I was ever born again. It wasn't our worthiness that produced this life of Christ inside of us. It was the Father's love for us. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. For I have written a letter unto you in a few words. This is 13 chapters. (laughs) (laughs) the Apostle Paul says he's written a letter in a few words. (laughs) And now you know that when we say we're closing, (laughs) there's still five more chapters. (laughs) And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. Know you that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them who have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. We're going to be a body that is knit together with such unity that great grace will be upon us all. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the treasure that's found inside of us. And I thank you that the excellency of the glory, it belongs to you but you've decided to put it inside of us and that when it comes out of us, we actually get to share in it, Father. And I thank you for you said your glory will you not give to another, but I thank you that we're not another, that you've made us one with you, Father. For you said that he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit. So when you share your glory, Lord God, with us, it's not diminishing who you are, it's actually amplifying it. And we thank you, Father. That we're all lights. We're all cities. That, Father, in a dark world, Lord, all we have to do is just shine. That it's not works. It's not any of that. It's just being who we are. I ask you to help us love well, Father. Help us see people through your eyes. Motivate our hearts with pure motives in everything we do. Father, I thank you that submission isn't easy for anybody. But I ask you that you would give us a full revelation of what it means. Lord Jesus, to be submitted to our leaders as unto the Lord. We thank you for a healthy body that's strong in you. We thank you that we're found in you. We thank you we'll never be lost again. In Jesus' name, amen.